0: Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. Our guest today is Y. Livingston. She's the president and CEO of Y. Stone's World Teas Holding, Inc., and her tea enterprise consists of really several things. It truly is an enterprise, a tea bar, a cafe and retail establishment, wholesale, product development, special events and promotions, and a franchise division. Y-Stone's World Teas is also a partner in concessions operations at Denver International Airport, and her wholesale food division provides food options for major airport food and beverage locations. You can also see her on Tea Time with Y, her regular television segment on KDVR, Channel 2, The CW. And she's here to talk with us today about how she got into tea and about how she partnered with a large corporation, which I'm not going to spill the beans and tell you about right now, how she partnered with them, and what a difference that made for her business. So welcome to the show today, Y. Thank
1: you so much. What a pleasure to be here today.
0: And you you have such an exceptional story, so much to learn from you, and, and some of the different things that led you to where you are today. Let's talk about your background before Y. Stone Tea. What were you doing?
1: Well, before White Stones, I was a corporate executive. I consider myself a recovering corporate executive. <laughs> I um, ran very large uh, organizations inside of firms such as Federal Express and AIG and Pulte Homes and Cigna Dental Health and just, just large corporations. I, my background is actually that of a political science major with a marketing background. And when I graduated from the University of Denver, I was recruited by FedEx and, and went to California to live. And I've spent most of my life there and stayed in progressively higher management positions until my last two positions as senior vice president at AIG in Los Angeles. And then here in Denver as senior vice president of Pulte Homes, um, the mortgage division. Mm -hmm. And while I was there is when I started thinking, uh, what is my next adventure going to look like? I'm a foodie by nature. You know, I've been baking my My fabulous cheesecake since I was twelve years old, Mm. and uh, selling it uh, actually—that's how I bought bought my books in college by selling my cheesecakes.
0: And um, (laughs) so you've been entrepreneurial for a long time—a long time,
1: a long time. Uh, You know, I had—I was the one with the easy bake oven that was outside (laughs) trying to sell those cupcakes.
0: Um, so. I remember the Easy Bake Oven, and I know what Absolutely. a hard sell that must have been.
1: <laughs> that was a hard sell. But you know what? You know how people are. So yeah.
0: I, I started cooking at a really
1: uh, young age. So everybody who knows me knows I love to entertain, and I love cooking, and, and they know a restaurant was somewhere in my future. But at the time, I didn't know what kind of restaurant. And so people kept saying, well, what about a burger place? I'm like, nah, I, I don't want to do that. It doesn't, that doesn't inspire me. He we said, well, what about coffee? I'm like, well, we got a bunch of coffee shops on the planet already. Uh, next thing we'll know, we'll be opening Starbucks in front inside of Starbucks. So no. <laughs> um, and then they said, well, what about a tea shop? And I'm like, hmm, tea? I don't know much about that. How do you make money at that? And, you mm-hmm. know, I did what all red-blooded folks do when you don't know something. You Google it. Right. <laughs> and I stayed up that night about half, you know, till 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, and I was... Absolutely fascinated with what I found, and um, to, to 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 shorten the this, this story, um, the three most important things that I found that made me go in this direction were number one, tea is the second most consumed beverage on the planet next to water. Number two, it has no economic boundaries, it has no ethnic boundaries, it has no geographic boundaries. It truly is, uh, I call it the perfect product um, from a number of perspectives. Um, age uh, whether you're five years old or you're 95 year old years old you're drinking the product um, it is a captivating product that's been part of our global history almost um, you know over 3,000 years and so that was number two and number three was um, people were starting to consume the product at a much higher rate particularly in America and there was no company if you will or brand that really stood for tea like Starbucks stood for coffee Mm -hmm. and so that those were my guiding principles to start the company okay and that was 2008
0: 2008 so you have been at this for about seven years and and quite a lot of progress you've made during that time I do have a burning question though did you drink tea prior to I'm sure you do now but prior to this did you drink tea oh I did, but, but not nearly,
1: uh, you know, I'm not nearly, I wasn't nearly the banshee I am now. Uh, <laughs> my mother says, I think tea can cure anything. And there's there's some truth to that. So I, 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 I have, uh, my palate has expanded. Um, you know, there are probably eight to 10,000 different teas in the world. It's amazing. And most people only know one or two. Mm-hmm. So it's my mission to kind of introduce you to this product. And um, it's, uh, it's just been a great journey for us.
0: When you decided that you were going to do this, did you jump all in and leave corporate America or did you start it on the side? What were your next steps after you decided that tea was where you were going to land?
1: Well, after I did some research, I was still working my corporate gig and traveling pretty extensively and decided that I was going to take about a year. So let me give you some time frame. When I had this epiphany that it's going to be a tea uh, business, it was probably the end of 2006 and um, I decided to take 2007 um, during my normal travels for my bit for my company and um, after I you know I finished my meetings for the day any city I was in I would seek out every single tea shop um, in that city whether I was in Boston or New York or San Francisco or it didn't matter mm-hmm. and I spent that year taking notes what I liked what I didn't like what kind of consumers were in the locations um, uh, Every 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 footprint I went in was so different. And at the end of that um, the time period, I also had had an opportunity to go to Europe. So I spent a great deal of time in, in France and, um, and in uh, England. And then um, I also had the, the most glorious opportunity to go to Japan where I spent a couple of weeks and it kind of changed my whole perspective <clears throat> because I learned at that point how to... Uh, how the tea was processed. I picked tea in the tea fields. I um, went into the facilities and learned how the tea was then handled after it was picked. And it was just a different perspective. I tasted about 70 to 100 different teas in two mm-hmm. weeks and wow. traveled across Japan. And then came home and decided now it's time to write that business plan. Now, all the while I'm working. Right. I have about 800 people reporting to me. And I'm, <laughs> I am... Um, uh, to say not getting a lot of sleep, that's an understatement. <laughs> um, but decided to write a business plan. And, uh, I did that in, uh, two, uh, early 2007 and took it to a bank when banks were still giving people money
0: <laughs> and,
1: uh, got a construction loan and an operations loan and went to friends and family and pulled money out of my 401k and decided to build a brand. And I make that distinction Because it's different from opening a restaurant or opening a business. I really set out to build a brand.
0: Talk to us about that distinction. What do you mean by that?
1: So when many people uh, want to, let's just say, open a restaurant, I mean, they're thinking it's one unit. I'm going to open this restaurant. We're going to have good food and drink. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll open another one in a few years. Uh, if they have that thought, my thought was always none of this makes sense unless I can open this and expand the brand under that umbrella. So a brand is long lasting. A brand is something when people hear that name, there there are lots of great images that, that are conjured up rather than let's just go over to X, Y, Z and, and have lunch. So I wanted to build a brand um, that was recognized for having just outstanding teas. I wanted to build a brand that uh, exuded excellence and something that was memorable in the marketplace. And so that takes a lot, that takes a different level of capital than Absolutely. if you just open a restaurant. Uh, Cause people don't understand the amount of money that it takes to put a brand team together, mm-hmm. to go through those exercises, to, you know, facilitate your, um, your, your image. Um, and then I wanted to franchise the concept and so I had to do it in a in a way that again it was memorable and it would be just as iconic as, you know, at some point in time, the McDonald's arches, if you will. Right. lofty, but you still, have to, you still have to think about your business like that.
0: Yeah, so, so you were thinking bigger from the beginning, which, as you say, is something that a lot of entrepreneurs don't do. They're just hoping to get those first few customers through the door and go from there to build on the success. But you really started with the end in mind, which is what we're often uh, told to do. But it's, it's very difficult to do that because, as you say, you need additional capital. You need the marketing team. Team, you need all these other components that are, it's much more difficult to put it together than simply opening your doors.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I, um, and I, you know, for all of that, that's great. There are some, some lessons here. One of the things that I was not prepared for as a new business owner was, you know, I'm coming from this uh, very corporate background with resources at my disposal So when you have your own business, your brain does not really catch up to the fact you don't have all those resources.
0: (laughs) That's so true.
1: You still think the same way you thought. And and, um, unfortunately, you can't just pick up the phone and call people to make stuff happen. Most of what has to transpire, you you as the owner or your small team are going to have to execute. Mm -hmm. And that is a really different way um, of thinking for someone who's coming out of corporate America. Particularly at a higher level, and then trying to start their own business. Yes. Your, your, your mind shift has to to has to happen pretty significantly. Yeah.
0: You're both the visionary and the implementer.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't matter if it's HR or IT or sales or marketing or procurement. You know, before you can pick up the phone and have those things done. If I did that today, I'd be calling myself. So, <laughs> right. Yeah, those are the kinds of things that I just. Um, I, I, I wasn't prepared for those are the things that I love to share with people who are making this transition from their corporate life to their private entrepreneurial life.
0: Yes. We are going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk about the conference or trade show uh, that you went to that changed everything for you. We're talking with Y. Livingston, who is the president and CEO of Ystones World Teas Holding on Smart Companies Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tamika Bryant. And I'm Christy Porter. We're here to talk about real estate that matters. We're going to talk about everything real estate. Anything you want to know from buying a house to selling a house, from investing in real estate. To flipping real estate. We invite you to listen every Thursday morning at 9 a.m. or on demand with our podcasts. Right here on Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio at blogtalkradio.com. Just tune in at 9 o'clock Thursday. Squirrel. <laughs> yeah. Well. yeah, squirrel. Can we just do that? 9 o'clock, don't touch it. Just sit by your radio and wait. We all want to run a smarter business. But how? The answer is ShopKeep, the iPad-based point-of-sale system that makes it easy to run a smarter business, from accepting payments, tracking inventory running marketing campaigns, and managing employees, ShopKeep does it all, taking the guesswork out of running your business. ShopKeep is just $49 per month with no long-term commitment. That includes ShopKeep Pocket, the app that lets you see your business's key performance data in real time, wherever you may be. Visit shopkeep.com forward slash smart today to begin your free trial that's shopkeep.com forward slash smart
1: interested in growing your business
0: Good morning. Welcome back to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. We're talking here this morning with Y. Livingston, who is the president and CEO of Y. Stone's World Teas Holding. And that consists of Tea bar, cafe, retail establishment, wholesale, product development, special events and promotions, and a franchise division. Why was telling us her story about how she got started moving from corporate America to this tea empire uh, back in 2008? And I want to fast forward now to your encounter with Miller Coors. Tell us about that.
1: Well, um, a few years ago, I went to the um, Minority Supplier Development Council's annual conference. And that conference happened to be in Denver. Mm -hmm. It moves around every year. And it's usually in late September, October. And I was there. I had a booth um, because I was, uh, at this point, really wanting to show uh, people kind of the breadth of what we do. We had moved beyond just having a, a tea bar and cafe, to doing a lot of other things, more more specifically uh, blending teas for restaurants and um, high-end hotels and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And so uh, my intent was really to uh, attract the attention of like an MGM Grand or someone like that where I could do amenities for their rooms. Um, Miller Coors happened to be there, and at the urging of of the uh, market president at the time, um, she said, Why don't you go talk to Miller? And I'm like, why Why would I talk to them? Uh, she says, well, you never know. You know, you could do some catering for them. Or I'm like, okay, yeah, you're right. Oh, they can put my teas in their break room. Mm-hmm. So I went over and we started talking. And the uh, procurement officer said, oh, I've been to your cafe. I love um, your uh, tea infused cocktails. And that's one of the things we do. And um, she says, wow. She goes, so how long have you guys been doing that? I said, well, for a few years. Um, she said, well, would you be interested in maybe doing something with us? She asked the question. Uh-huh. And I said, of course. So long story short, she arranges a meeting where we take our tea-infused cocktails up to Golden, uh, which is about a 30-minute ride from downtown Denver. We go up to the, the Coors Brewery. We meet with the master brewers and uh, herself. And uh, it's like 9, 9 o'clock in the morning, and we're we're having cocktails. Um, <laughs> Well, the the important part of that is they wanted to understand the flavor profiles and how we were yes. blending the products, and, and so out of that came. Do you think that you can do some teas um, that would be blended into our beers? Hmm. We do quite a uh, a lot of craft beer under our Blue Moon label. Blue Moon is its own entity, and uh, um, we are always looking for different ingredients. So, certainly uh, was my answer. Went back uh, to the uh, office, and we blended about I don't know ten or twelve teas for them. Um, and you know, months are going by because it's October when we have the initial meeting, it's now like February or March when we get back to them with their their samples. Um, and so to give some perspective, that was, uh, two and a half years ago, right? Um, literally during the two and a half years, we went back and forth. Marketing loves it. Marketing doesn't love it. (laughs) Oh, we love the taste. We don't love the taste. Uh, we need more of this in it. We need less of that in it. So through all these iterations, Oh, and then the, the most important iteration was, oh, this has tea in it. I mean, actual tea leaf. And I'll tell you why that's important. Okay. The actual tea leaf is Camellia sinensis, and it has caffeine in it. You cannot have caffeine in an alcoholic product.
0: Ah, understand. okay. So
1: all of that work we had done, we had a, a tea product. Then we had to take the tea out <laughs> and blend it with a different product, a rooibos from South Africa. And, um... So through all those iterations, finally, January of this year, after we really hadn't heard from them for about three or four months uh, between 2014 and January of 2015, it's a Monday morning. I get up, the phone rings, it's Christy from Miller Coors and says, are you guys still interested in working with us? I'm (laughs) like, of course we are. And um, we ended up uh, moving pretty fast. Um, So that was January they had us change the formulation about three or four more times Mm -hmm. that took about three or four months. And then in June, we received our first PO, which was the largest PO for my company, one single PO uh, to produce about 17,000 pounds of this product that would go in 2.5 million bottles of beer.
0: Wow. Um,
1: The the beer is the uh, chai spiced um, beer that's in the um, uh, chai spiced ale that's in the Blue Moon Sample Pack. So Blue Moon does a sample pack every quarter. So um, the sample pack that's out now is the fall sample pack. It has four beers in it, and three of those beers are our beer, if you will. Mm -hmm. And um, we are just... Please, just punch. to well, have partnered with them.
0: Well, and I know it has changed your company. What I want to go back to, because in case people don't didn't catch the significance of this, tell me those numbers again. It was how many pounds?
1: Seventeen thousand pounds of blend. Okay. For Two point five million bottles of beer. So
0: you're talking about eight and a half tons of tea, right? Yes. And you yes, know how light tea, tea is, how lightweight tea is. It's a lot of product. Yes, so, so uh, you have quite the story, though, about how you had to scramble and engage oh, yes. all kinds of people, because uh, a lot of times, this is important, because a lot of times, when a company starts to scale, the growth actually kills them. How did you manage? I know you'd been working with them for a couple of years developing it, but when you got the order, boom, you had to move. How did you manage to corral enough people and a big enough team in order to satisfy that? Because that that was huge.
1: Well, that's a great question. And it really, uh, I have to rely on my corporate executive experience. Mm -hmm. That's when that really kicked in. Because because it was clear, there is no way we can do 17,000 pounds. And you know, as all entrepreneurs do, somebody asks you, can you do something? You say yes, yes. and we'll figure <laughs> it out later. And so I came back to my team, and they're looking at me like with you know deer in the headlight, like, what? And it became clear to me that I was going to have to really find a co-packer to work with me. Mm-hmm. And so we found a co-packer, uh, signed an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement, uh, gave them our formulation, Settled on a price where they could actually blend the tea according to our specifications, and uh, get the shipping done. The shipping is just as important as blending because all of the product has to be put in specified containers. Those containers are uh, are specified by uh, Millacores. They have to be palletized. Um, they have to be, uh, you know, shipped a very certain way, and they have to get there by a certain time because when they tell you that that the tea has to be here by the 23rd of November, they don't mean the 24th. Right. Because on the 23rd, they might have brewers that have flown in from around the world to mm-hmm. experience, um, the seeing the seeing the process done. Right. So that's really what we did. We, re, we, we reverted to a co-packer, uh, according to our specifications. Uh, we flew down, uh, to that co-packer to oversee the operation and to make sure that the product got to them in a timely fashion. Okay. So and you they ordered it over, uh, probably a, Two and a half, three month period of time. So 5,000 pounds here, 3,000 pounds there. Right. And we shipped to three different breweries around the country for them. Mm.
0: So you had a, a partner in uh, developing all of that. And then another obstacle, another great story and great lesson that you can share is how you financed all of this because. The the cores didn't upfront you the money, so tell us how you no. ha, tell us the story of how you got because uh, now you've got to pay a co-packer, you have your employees, you have product you have to pay for. How did you yeah. manage all that?
1: Well, really, had a great co-packer who um, we settled on terms with them-um, you know, 30-day net. Um, so, what that means to our uh, audience, for those of you who don't know, is they, they gave us 30 days to pay for the product in the interim. I worked with Miller Coors. Um, who normally has a 60-day net, um, and this is really important for small business owners, when, when, when you're faced with those kind of terms, you have to ask. If I hadn't asked, I wouldn't have gotten them to move off of that 60 days. 60 days became 10 days. So here is it, Miller Coors is now giving me a 10-day turnaround on our money, and our co-packer is going to get paid in 30 days. So that gave us plenty of time to get the product done, get the product out, get paid and then to pay the co-packer.
0: Right. And, and when I heard your story the first time, it's important to note that, uh, you had to be persistent in getting those terms. You didn't just pick up the phone and make a simple, simple phone call. And they said, Oh, sure. You had to really make your case and be persistent.
1: I had to humble myself because no one wants to say that they don't have the money. Right. That's the biggest issue with small businesses. And it's okay to say, I don't have the money Mm -hmm. because there's so many things that are coming at you And I, you know, I called the first time and they said, well, we can take it from from 60 to 30. And I was like, "Okay." And then I tried to work with that and I had to call back and I said, look, at this as a small business, this is just something that's not going to work for us. Is there any way we can get shorter terms? And literally within a day, I had an answer that they would give us a 10 day turnaround.
0: Yeah, so that's that, the importance of asking. And obviously, over that two-year-plus time period, you had developed a relationship that allowed you to um, get them to listen to you. Sure, so.
1: but, you know, if there, there's always this hesitancy because as a small business, we all, always want to look bigger than we are. Yes. We certainly don't want someone with the stature of a Miller Coors thinking that we don't have the money
0: mm-hmm.
1: to, to see this project through. And so you go through a little turmoil, trying to figure out, should you ask and what that's going to mean in terms of how they view you as a business. Right. And then something just comes up inside of you, um, or did for me. and like, Hey, I'm asking, you know, <laughs> I believe in that. I believe in that phrase. You have not because you ask not. And yeah. so, um, I, I really took that to heart.
0: Let's go back to the growth and the impact of growth on your company. You had a team of employ. You have a team of employees, but when, like you said, you get the deer in the headlight look. How did that growth impact the culture of your company, the day to day operations of your company? Because in addition to getting the product out, you've got all these people issues that you have to contend with too. I know you've got an yes. outside partner, but you know you've got these people who are coming to work in really kind of a different place now because of all the changes.
1: Yeah, and that is a really interesting dynamic because um, it is uh, the, the workforce of today is different than the workforce of 20 years ago. And casting no aspersions on what that means for the workforce of today, it's just different. Mm-hmm. And so the the level of stick stick itiveness as I call it, is not there. Uh, we're scrambling. We're a small company. There's constant change. Um, I've seen uh, our... our, our, our just, just salaries uh, increased by about 20% in the last five years. That's pretty significant for small business. Yes. My culture for the company is not where I would want it to be based on what I'm accustomed to coming out of corporate America. But as I tell people, culture costs money. Don't think for a moment that uh, when a company is known for a good culture and great employees that there wasn't a lot of capital put behind that. And it, for simple things, I mean, yeah, we can, you know, take them to lunch or give them a party, but that's not culture. Right. Culture are all the systems and processes that are in place to make your employees want to be there and want to work for you. We're not there yet, um, but I, it's something that I work on each and every day. Uh, I don't take it lightly because I don't do this business. My employees make this happen. Right. Exactly. Um, so it's a, it's an interesting place to be, quite honestly.
0: Well, as we wrap up here, where do you find your final product? Because I'm sure that many listeners are now, if they haven't already tried it, they're saying, I want to get some of that. And uh, where would they find this?
1: You can find the beer in the Blue Moon sample pack in any liquor store, grocery store, Costco that sells Blue Moon. Okay. All right. Um, in that sample pack, you'll find three be uh, three of the uh, uh, chai spiced uh, ales.
0: All right. So basically any major retailer that carries the Blue Moon, um, if you can't find it, ask for it, and I'm sure that they can direct you. What are your hopes for the future?
1: Well, my hopes for the future are that uh, that beer becomes a standalone beer. Um, That's the whole part of the reason for doing this. It's not just to be in the sample pack. We want that beer to be its own beer. Uh, We just were contacted by Miller Coors for the next round. It looks like we're going to go into the winter sample pack as well. Great. Congratulations. And and then to really have a footing in the craft beer uh, industry, that's given us another venue for our
0: product. Yeah, and it sounds like you're continuing to build the other aspects of your business, and you've got a television segment now, and it just sounds like you've got a lot going for you, and we wish you the best of luck with that. Where can uh, people find your website?
1: Uh, ystones.com. W-Y-S-T-O-N-E-S.com.
0: Okay, so Ystones.com. You can go in and you can uh, read all about this and find out more about the company. Again, congratulations, Y. We really appreciate you taking the time to share your story and your wisdom and, and all the things that you have learned as a result of of your challenges. It's It's always very helpful to hear it from another entrepreneur.
1: Thank you so much for having me this morning.
0: And to all of you, if you'd like to learn how to grow your business, please visit our website at ithinkbigger.com. Follow us on Facebook, Thinking Bigger Business Media, or on Twitter at I Think Bigger. Have a great week, a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday, and we'll see you next week.